We who are about to die salute you. How's it going, everybody? The Chris's are back with the 24th episode of Moratory Mondays here at the Chris and Reggie channel. Uh, it's episode 24, so uh, I, I guess it should come as no surprise, considering what we've been doing for the past 23 episodes. Uh, we're talking about Strike Force Moratory issue number 24. But first, I want to send it over to my co-host to do uh, do some shout-outs. So we don't usually get to... Uh... And we should. You know what? We're, we're pretty lazy when you think about it, Chris. We never, ever <laughs> shout out our fans. So there's three guys in particular that I really, really want to call out because they've been with us throughout this entire 23-episode journey and hopefully issue episode 24 as well. Mm-hmm. So shout-outs to our fine followers, our moratory uh, mighty followers. As they're called Mr. Jody Yearden. Green Lantern HG and Mr. Joe Cabrera. I mean, these guys have been along for the ride the entire time. They continuously interact with us. And you know what? Those comments are the comments that keep us moving and keep us doing this show. Sure. So you guys are appreciated. Trust me. We we read every single one of your comments. We talk about the comments. So uh, thank you guys for joining with us. And uh, it is very, very appreciated. And you are the reason Moratory Mondays has lasted. 24 episodes so tw- episode 24 chris would you think we even would have made it ever never in a million years but uh yeah if anybody's listened to my solo offerings and hasn't turned it off before the end uh, i you know you could tell i'm a very lonely guy when it comes to things like engagement so i always thank everybody who reaches <laughs> out and just beg people to reach out because i'm very lonely and uh and this is a even though we do this together it's still like a solitary effort it's very it weird is. Uh, it is so it's it's awesome when people reach out. Uh, you know, tell us you like it, tell us you hate it, whatever you want to do. Just uh, let us know what's up. <laughs> we like hearing from people. We like to talk to people, and especially as we get into these more divisive issues here. Um, I mean, we did get. I don't want to say we got clapback last issue or last episode, but uh, we did get people thinking that you know these epi- these issues are like just as bad as issue twenty one. Oh yeah. And, uh, and uh, they're really not. They're, uh, these are these are some uh, solid moratory issues. Of course, they're not Gillis and Anderson. We 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 can't be mad at them for being what they're not. For not being what they're not, I guess, right? Okay. Um, so what we can do is take them for what they are. And this is a kind of radical new take on the concept. Kind of familiar, kind of comfortable, but still different. Um, it's never going to be Gillis and Anderson again. But uh, I think a lot of us, ourselves included, because it's been so long since we read this, you know, final third yep. of Moratory, I think we expected to check out completely. And this was just going to become like the angry comic book critique nerds <laughs> hour, you know, where we're just going to be talking mad crap about these this book. And we did that for issue 21 and we were scared that, that was the direction the show was going to go. 
Um, you know, 20, 22 was a, was an uptick in quality 23. We both really enjoyed. And, uh, as you're about to find out 24 is more of the same. It's, uh, it's some, it's some decent comic books. It's some really good, um, moratory. So let's get right into our next issue. Strike force moratory issue number 24, December, 1988 cover date story is called goodbye. Blue sky. Hello blue. Nothing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) Close, close. Yeah. <laughs> Written by James D. Hudnell. Pencils. Uh, we're back with John Calamy, so Mark Bagley is not permanent on the series yet, but he will be back. Inks, Val Merrick. Letters, Phil Felix. Colors, Max Scheel. Edits, Carl Potts. Chiefing, Tom DeFalco. Cover price. We have a price hike in North America. Boy. We are yeah, we are up to $1.50 USD. Two whole folding dollars in Canada. Son of a gun right, right. there. Well, mm-hmm. by this time, by this time, we could have planked down our nice gold loony. Mm. So it could be two loonies for this book. <laughs> and you had to be a loony to pay $2 a book at that point. <laughs> Holy snap. It, back in the 80s, a $2 book. Um, and uh, still 50p in the UK. So uh, they uh, they they didn't raise the price for our friends across Boy. the pond. Um, now, this one hit the shelves on August 2nd. 1988 and uh we do have a solicitation which doesn't totally spoil the story so we can read it up front here and uh it goes a little something like this as if mankind's war against the alien horde wasn't bad enough now their moratory force must face the appearance of two new alien races and to make matters worse one of those aliens promises to make the moratory more dangerous to mankind than the horde eh? There's one. There's one thing here. It says the moratory must face off against the appearance of two new alien races. Two? I mean, there, yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's kinda, two. Kind of. Sort of. One, one is in exactly one and a half panels, so I guess it's two full <laughs> alien races. I guess we could say that. But anyway. And, and I didn't know it was the aliens that promised to make the moratory more dangerous. I thought that was a different group of people, but we'll get there as we go. Um, we have a cover here by Russ Heath, a Golden Age artist uh, who's got credits dating back to 1942. Wow. Um, he was on Westerns and War Comics, a whole bunch of stuff. This guy had quite the pedigree. The cover um, looks good, though. Nice it's and It's a good smooth. cover. Real good cover. Yeah. Real good cover here. And it features a corpse smoldering at uh, Dr. Tulima's feet. And he has stood betwixt a pair of unfamiliar alien life forms. It looks really cool. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. You get to see the two alien life forms, you know, prominently on the cover. You got Tulima, who's in the middle, who's clearly distressed, but oh, it yeah. looks like looks like the major threat is the uh, is the big red alien in the corner that lasts, like I said, exactly one and a half panels. I don't I don't think he was thinking this one through. Hey. And at the bottom is uh, Tulima's right hand man, Randy, <laughs> smoldering Randy. in flames. And at the yeah, poor Randy. And uh, this alien, this red alien that we see the back of here. Looks completely different inside the comic. Um, yes. He doesn't look, I don't know if it's a he or she, it, this alien uh, does not look anything like this in the comic, except for the for the color. Um, now, we get inside here, and we don't open on Earth. We don't open anywhere near Earth. Uh, we actually open somewhere called Hydrodyne 2. Huh. Yes, and this is where we meet a sort of fish-faced alien called Vax-117. So, okay. So first of all, one thing that I will say. So our our good man himself, our artist, uh, Mr. John Cam- Cal- how do you pronounce his Calamy. name? Calamy. Uh, maybe it's Calamy. I, I so, hope sounds so. Like, sounds like a lotion. 
It does. That's okay. So Lotion Boy, uh, (laughs) we get right away a distinct loss of backgrounds right away in this book. So right away, you know, it it goes to it completely drops off. So we had Bagley who drew lush. You know, I praised Mark Bagley. And trust me, I never do that in real life, folks. (laughs) Um, Anyway, this artist, I guarantee you, this guy's no Steve Ditko or Jack Kirby. He has his his idea of an alien world is random floating geometric shapes. And I mean, like literally geometric shapes like there's no alien form to them they're just it's alien terrain and floating shapes and that's triangles yeah yeah Mm -hmm. literally floating triangles that's what you have and it's It's, really really odd but uh but anyway i I, and i will another comment here i didn't put this in the show notes hydrodyne 2 okay So it's clear somebody had watched Terminator because Cyberdyne Industries was was a big thing back then. Oh. You know, that was the catchphrase. So Hydrodyne is a carefully masked. Uh, somebody went and saw a movie. Let's put it that way. And they, they <laughs> use that. Hydrodyne. There you go. Anyway, yeah. continue on, sir. Pardon no. the interruption. Now, uh, Vax 117 is about to be met by an opponent from the Ecla strain, whatever that is, in the field of battle. Only this unseen opponent has miscalculated its entry into the area and winds up blowing itself up. So uh, it's a good day to be Vax 117. Good old Vax 117. I mean, he's a fish-like character, like facially, mm-hmm. but that suit looks a heck of a lot like Shear's suit, the good old white and blue one he wore there first when he came uh, out there. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know what this, uh, this Vax guy is, if he's got any relation to our moratory <laughs> clan, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, we might, we might. Now, before he can enjoy fully enjoy the fruits of his victory, Vax 117 is alerted via his nav computer of a beacon pinging from a distant world. Uh, hmm. This makes me wonder actually what the beacon is emitting. I mean, this alien picked it up on his little nav computer. At least they were adding a little name to it, nav computer, which is kind of <laughs> cool. You know, is this message sent out to be two specific aliens like old Vax here or or is it just randomly sent out and anybody can pick it up? You know, have we already seen his kind on Earth already? Who knows? Maybe Mm. he's here for a reason, but we just don't know what that is right now. It's true. Now, Vax warps away, hoping that he'll be the first alien life form to answer this call. Now, we don't get to see him get there just yet because we got some scene shifting to do. We got a lot of scene shifting to do here. Yes. This oh, is, yeah. uh, we're laying a foundation for kind of the next phase of this book in this very issue. So we're going to meet a lot of new people. We're going to get a whole new uh, a whole new outlook on this book here. And uh, now our first scene shift drops us into a jail cell. And here we meet a man who refers to himself as Red Cougar. Uh-huh. Uh, but he might actually be a fella named Julio Gonzalez, known to the world at large as the homeless killer. Ooh. Now, <laughs> Red Cougar really lives up to his name because they actually paint him red in this book. He is actually like Hordian pink red. <laughs> it's Yeah, the, the coloring, uh, the, I mean, the coloring works for John Calamy where it's just a very flat color. Uh, it yeah. doesn't look like, like, a, like a flesh. <laughs> it's just. No, it's no, like. like yeah, it's it's not natural looking. If if you were like drawing certain, you know, uh, ethnicities, 
boy, he really used a primary colors pack there on this one, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, yeah. boy, Red Cougar is actually red. But anyway, I like what you said there. So he's Julio Gonzalez, and he may be the homeless killer. So mm-hmm. it looks like old Julio here may not be exactly what he seems because he keeps denying that he's actually Julio Gonzalez. So is this guy just thrown in jail? That's what we're going to find out. Well, actually, we're not going to find that out yet, but we are going to hear a little bit about yes. it. Now, before we can get to know Red Cougar, Julio Gonzalez, the homeless killer, we shift over again and we see a tabletop, which is surrounded by some apparent movers and shakers of this world. And uh, they're passing like files across and they do have a file about Julio slash Cougar. And uh, they seem to be excited, maybe a little trepidatious about the possibility of committing to a working relationship with him. And uh, we're going to learn more about him as we as we go through this issue. But from here, we jump back to our new friend Vax. And he is approaching Earth's atmosphere. And uh, this is cool because this is the first time we're actually seeing that the Earth's skies are completely occupied by oh, yeah. Hordian ships. And these Hordian ships have, like, no uh, uniformity. So this is all shapes and sizes. So it looks like... Like the Horde has made some of – we know that they're raiders. You know, They come in and they steal. Yep. They steal resources. They steal people. They steal life forms. They steal all sorts of stuff here. So this feels like a ramshackle collection of ships from the aliens that they've raided. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I just wonder what this would look like under Brent Anderson's pencil. I mean, oh, this boy. guy loved Easter eggs in the background, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if he was drawing a large collections of uh, of ships, you can just imagine that he definitely would have thrown like a, a Cree or a skull or scroll ship in there, you know what I mean? Oh, maybe yeah. a, maybe the, the Galactica from Battlestar Galactica or something X-Wing, from Space 19. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, there definitely would have been some stuff in there. It would have been cool, but, sure. but anyway... He, he did, he did a he did a good job with this because we actually get to see some variants in uh, in Hordian ships. So I like. Oh it. yeah, yeah, and it looks it looks very crowded. It looks like yeah. it looks like Earth is under uh, like under surveillance. It's it's pretty cool. Uh, now Vax flies up to one of these ships, which really freaks out the Hordian at the controls inside, and uh, he makes a frantic call to the base to report this occurrence, and uh, they don't believe him. They think he's full of it, and. Uh, Rather than taking his uh, report seriously, they just accuse him of indulging in chocolate while on duty. So <laughs> is this the first time that we're hearing that chocolate has like a like a alcohol like effect on the Hordians? Is it, yeah, it, I think it is. OK, I, I wonder if I that was, right. I wonder if that was always intended or just maybe something that Hudnall picked up on since we keep going back to chocolate factories. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like that. It, it reminded me. What was it? Was Alien Nation where they'd get drunk on milk? Yes, exactly. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it feels something like that. It, I want. Was alienation around at this time? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Wonder. Oh, God. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. It was. Yes. They had the 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 movie, the, the motion series? picture, yeah. and mm-hmm. then they had the actual television series. Cool. Cool. Yes. Yeah. So I wonder if that's maybe they got some of their inspiration from that. Um, I don't. I don't know. But you can certainly find out on episode five of our new Alien Nation podcast. With, <laughs> oh, wait. Wait a second. Sorry. <laughs> We don't have an Alien Nation podcast. We don't. We don't. Those those <laughs> those brainy heads freak me out. Um, now, in this distraction, we have our Hordian friend here reporting this frantic call. Uh, Vax finds a way to enter the craft, and he sneaks up behind this Hordian, and it looks as though he's just about to snap the poor thing's neck. Oh, I love this. This I love Vax. He just got yeah. this 
amazing look to him. He's got a great costume, great design, very sleek, and he's got like this infiltrator type of look. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This scene in general, you know, he just easily infiltrates the Hordian craft. You know what I mean? It, obviously, he can transport himself. So he's like, how does? What do you think? He teleports? He Is that phases? what he's doing? I don't know. Yeah, phase. Yeah. Is he phasing through metal? Is that how he works? I don't know. But I'll tell you what. When the Hordians see this guy, you can tell that they know what race this is because it was pure fear the second yeah. they see him. So clearly, these species have met before, and mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not a good thing when a Hordian meets a Vex. And so, mm. I don't know. I like it. And I love that Vex shows like no emotion. Oh no, snap! Just, yeah, just a just a blank face. Just okay. This is just what I'm doing. No problem. Um, <laughs> now next stop, we hop down to the Super Train. Super where... Train. Okay. Where our man, Dan the Scan, is having a dream about being reunited with his lady love, Janet. And uh, as they talk, they're suddenly surrounded by flame. And before we know it, she has been rendered to nothing more than a pile of ash. Uh, you can see this scene and like this is definitely going to be in like a television series. If you ever do good old Dan, you know that this is going to appear in the Netflix oh, yeah. series. If it actually got past season one, of course, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, Janet actually being dead. We can only assume that she's dead, number one, because did we see a body? We did not. We did not. And you know the rule in comics. Nobody, mm-hmm. no deado. So who knows? We Will we ever, well, we and Mary never get to the point where we see her. But anyway, Janet could possibly be alive. That could be a good plot grant. You know, plot thread. Was she rescued? You know, did she escape the blast zone and join a resistance group? But there's so much here that's beyond the surface. But he assumes that she's nothing but a pile of ash now. So there it's you go, true. Dano. But this is not the end of Dan's dream because oh, no. suddenly his dream dissolves into a stark white, which is a uh, very advantageous for John Calame since he doesn't <laughs> like drug backgrounds. Um, and here, our man Dan the Scan is met by. Wait for it. Wait for it. Will DeGucci. <laughs> the douche is back, baby. He's back. And he greets Dan and he informs him that he has very little time, but he has some information to impart onto him here. Now, you see, in addition to his scanning powers, it looks like Dan is also apparently a psychic. Ah, Scanner right now is basically a supercharged adept. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it. He's got this weird dual power of not only scanning, but also psychic ability. So he can scan ahead of time for the group. And he also reads mind. I mean, this is a serious power set he's got going on here. I mean, is he the first moratory to have like two specific powers? Like normally it's like super strength and a power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But is he the the first guy to have two separate powers or is it or is it all part of the scanning process? Who knows? But think of. Think about this. Are Tulema's experiments leading to new developments in the process? So is he able to now add powers and, you know, stack, you know, abilities onto these guys? You know what I mean? It mm. makes me think. I don't know. Like, I know the more that uh, Tulema is, you know, definitely advancing his um, his technology his formula, and all that. Yeah. yeah, his formula. So, I mean, anything's possible. So it looks like Dan the Man's got two two great power sets. But, you know what? Enough about that. Deguchi is back. <laughs> yes, Will is back, and uh, he he gives uh, Dan as well as new readers the quick and dirty about his power set and his uh, his self induced coma. Uh, then he drops some crazy knowledge on our new moratory here, and it comes down to a few uh, you know few bullet points here. He says the Padian government is about to come apart, so that's our first warning. 
Yep. Our second warning is do not trust the people running things, which should go without saying. <laughs> then he says, don't trust the new ones, which uh, we'll get to. And then especially stay clear of sheer. Mm, mm. Look at that. Now, unfortunately, want- before he can tell Dan exactly why he should steer clear of sheer, say that five times fast. Our man Will bursts into flames in the dream. Oh, damn. Yes. Now, next we know Dan wakes up and uh, not satisfied with and quite confused by the half information he just received. He hightails it to the med car to try to get a little bit more out of Scatterbrain. Upon arrival, he and we learn that just a moment earlier, Will DeGucci perished. He succumbed to the moratory effect. Now, Dan, he's in the room. He's freaking out. He tries shaking Will to get some answers. Wake him up. It's like, you can't be dead. You were just talking to me a second ago. But <laughs> but apparently, Will is dead. Ugh. Maybe. Mm, who knows? I, I mean, I, think it. I, I, think I don't of... want to put the cart in front of the horse here, but I could have sworn there was more with Will. I, I, I could just be misremembering it. Or maybe they brought in another guy with a weird mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's possible. As, as I said before, you know the rules. A no body, no death. But we have a body here. However, it didn't it's totally... explode. Yeah. Exactly right. You know, did he disintegrate? His body did not dissolve like all the others in the moratorium process. You know what I mean? And think about it. He put himself in a catatonic state. And, you know, when you when you see the scientists, they said that he just passed from like a passive version of the process. Mm-hmm. And that his vital signs jest and they stop. So before the doctor can finish, Dan, of course, doing his best, you know, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, shouts, <laughs> that's impossible. You know, he may be right, though. But this is clearly no death here. I'm not buying this for one second. So I may be stupid and this might be the end of the Gucci. But uh, no, I don't think so. It feels yeah, because it feels like uh, the Padilla is starting to realize that uh, that will he knows a little too much. And yeah. Uh, and I, th- I think there's some, there's a little bit of collusion here, I feel. Um, but uh, we leave this scene and we hop back to space. And uh, it seems as though Vax did, in fact, kill that Hordian pilot. Uh, however, in so doing, he was also able to extract the Hordian's genetic information as well as its memories, mm. which is a very interesting power. Yes. And uh, he claims that this data will be will be very valuable to the VXX199, which I guess we can assume is his alien race. Um, then Vax decides he's going to head toward Earth. He's going to go land. He's going to go earthbound here. And uh, he's hopeful that he might be able to learn a bit more about the indigenous sentience that occupy the planet as well. I like the uh, how the VX199, uh, you know, always use human numerals when they're describing their race. So <laughs> it's just very interesting. It's like when like in those those like movies from like the 50s and 60s, it's like it's like, what are you? I'm a Martian. It's like, well, how do you know we call it Mars? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Wouldn't you be like the the Vaxxers or something? Yeah. You know what I mean? Wouldn't you be something or the what is it? The uh, the Shakar or the yeah, the Shakar. <laughs> The Kashak. Yeah, well, it's like we we call that planet Jupiter. Come on. <laughs> well, anyway, this is a pretty very you know interesting backdrop here, and of course we also find that we fill in some blanks on the Hordian origin. So think mm-hmm. about it. Um, 
you know, the Hordians are basically a starving race, and we know that. They recycle everything for basic survival. And it's said, today's sewage could be tomorrow's dinner. I can't imagine that, but anyway. Oh, man. So these guys were clearly struggling. Let's, let's be honest here. And he notes that finding Earth and their resources were like an orgy of riches for them. Think about it. You know, you're starving to death. You're up in space. You're eating your own excrement to get through dinner. And all of a sudden, you're you're dropping to a world where there's chocolate factories everywhere. This is pure heaven. But, uh, you know, this tells us that the Hordians are not, you know, this is a reason why they haven't nuked the Earth, because it's too full of resources that they need. Sure. So, right? I mean, they bombed places, but it's never been something where it affects their food supply or things they want to plunder. You know what I mean? It's always True. been, let's point the missiles at moratory headquarters and that type of thing. Yeah. And it, and it appears that good old Vax 177 feels like a scout, if, if I'm thinking about what he is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like... Who does he mean by indigenous sentiments as well? Is that does he mean the humans or the Hordians? What do you think? Well, you know the I, my my initial thought went to the humans, but you know the Horde, they pretty much run the continent of Africa now. Uh, yeah, know, they, they they live there. They have bases all over the place. They have their their actual mega base. Uh, I think in in South Africa, Cape Town area. Yeah. So yeah, they they are. I guess you could con- consider them sentients of Earth at this point. Hmm. Is he, and I guess he's just checking out the situation. He just wants to see if it's satisfactory and, you know, then he will make the signal. What does that mean? Is he going to invade? You know, is there other help coming from the stars? What does this mean? I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't really know, but that's the beauty of this, I guess. So what do we take away that Vax 177 is? He's a bigger part of the species. They're obviously highly evolved science and tech driven species for sure. We clearly know that, you know, they've got the technology. He can fly through space. He doesn't even you know, need a spacecraft. So, you know, he's, he's just flying through space. He can, you know, um, he can transfer through objects. He can, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this guy has it all together. And, uh, you know, the fact that when we met Vax 177, he was just awaiting to challenge another alien tells me that, you know, he could be a part of a group of warriors who enjoys the challenge of intergalactic competition. So are they like, you know, are they like sports, like, game hunters or trophy hunters who knows what this is but i i really like it it's it's going to be something i'm really interested in finding out about absolutely now yeah because he this is this feels a lot deeper than when we first met the horde it was just like they're coming to take over the earth and that's feels, all we knew about them but uh but with the 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 vax here it it feels like it's a it is it feels like a scouting mission it feels like there's there is a there is a step two to the plan feels besides very, just taking over feels very predator-ish could see that yeah Yeah. could see that now um we jump back to the jail cell and uh, red kuga gets into an argument with his cellmate and after some racially insensitive dialogue uh, (laughs) uh, our man kuga appears to kill him the the cellmate with his bare hands and yeah like it looks like he like punched him through the heart it's it's, the dude just laying there with like covering a, a massive bleeding chest um now it's worth noting in during the argument here, Cougar claims to be a political prisoner and not some low life robber. So, <laughs> so maybe there's more to his incarceration than just uh, being, you know, a street tough that was picked up, you know, during a uh, during a patrol. Well, I'll tell you what, killing your cellmate and like bursting through his chest cavity That's is not probably, help. Not a, yeah. probably not a good uh, good argument for yourself if you're trying to say <laughs> you're innocent. But anyway. Uh, this right here contains one of the most awkward fight scenes you're ever <laughs> going to see. The poses are really strange. Stilted, the, yeah. Oh, and the, just the way I, 
like you know every single panel if you're looking if an if you get one of the great artists at the time say a john buscema you know that every single panel you have to change the perspective you know what i mean mm-hmm. you, you don't have a successive amount of panels unless you're dictate you know detailing a fight that happens straight on to you but mm-hmm. you know a great artist will always spin the perspective i think that he tries here i think that john calamiel tries here but uh, it works out really weird. So, I mean, Cougar looks like, you know, he looks like that asshole you knew as a kid who <laughs> rolled his shirt up to show off his guns and his tats. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, he, you know, that guy who carries the pack of smokes on his shoulders to show how cool he was. <laughs> I mean, I just hate this guy already. You know, the poses and perspectives here and the character interaction. This 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 is just one awful scene in this book. I, I really could not stand it. <laughs> yeah. And like when we see Cougar here before and after, you know, perforating this dude's chest he's in like a a different variation of the same exact pose he has like one fist up and like the other fist kind of blocking his body it's like yeah it looks like he didn't even move (laughs) at all (laughs) again it looks like if he would have punched he would have punched like super macho man on uh mike tyson's punch out (laughs) where like the whole body kind of pivots it's it's weird it Um, is just just painful to look at but it is it's unpleasant uh but we got cougar killing or at least maiming his cellmate and uh, we jump back to that movers and shakers table here, and uh, they're still passing files back and forth. And they agree to go forward with whatever their plan is that will involve Mr. Gonzalez. Uh, we do learn that uh, that our homeless killer, our alleged homeless killer, will have to get a bit of plastic surgery first. Because uh, they don't want people knowing that he is who he really is. Ah. And now the next morning, we meet up with newbies Dan and Jason, and they're having breakfast. And uh, under Calamy's pencil, it looks like Jason must be, like, off-cycle for uh, steroids. <laughs> he, missed a couple, he misses a couple doses of the IcoPro, brother. you got to want it. I think it's worth noting here that good old Dan has an all-new scanner suit. He, yep. He's gotten rid of his barcode suit for this <laughs> really strange armored, like, it's just big, bulky, armored, bright yellow motif that he's got going on here, you know. Yeah. I think the bar, the barcode suit itself. I mean, it it pretty well sucked, but uh, this is this is not much of an upgrade. <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's really it's it feels like a very low effort suit. It's uh yeah. just there. Yeah. Now together they talk about Deguchi's death, uh, while Jason is heating his food with his radiation powers. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this kind of grosses me out. <laughs> like heating heating your food with your body. It reminds me of like the times where Iceman from the X-Men would make ice cubes for people's drinks and like, just tap them off the tip of his finger. It's like, where did they come? That's so gross. <laughs> you made that with your body and you're putting it in my iced tea. And that's just <laughs> foul. Um, now, Dan, uh, they're in this chat and Dan becomes a bit preoccupied because out of the corner of his eye, he notices sheer walking. Past I him. love the image of sheer as he walks by. He's got this Pompous. really, <laughs> Yes, this pompous, he's got his eyes rolled up as not to look at them, and he's got like this snooty look as he passes by. I love it. It's just awesome. And I like this sheer mystery. You know, the yeah. fact that he was, think about it, one of the big mysteries with, with sheer, I mean, did they pick up that something's off with this guy? Because he was the leader one minute, and then all of a sudden he's inexplicably second in command out of nowhere. I mean, True. is sheer an alien? Is he one of the Vex crowd? Or, you know, what is this guy? We don't know, but... There's a big secret going on here, so I'm hoping that the payoff is good because I honestly don't remember what the payoff is. So Me either, yeah, I can't the, wait. Can't wait to find out. Yeah, the whole Will Deguchi scene, I have 
it's been years, so I've totally spaced this. I thought I, I had it in my head going a whole different way with Will. So this is a, this is a uh, pleasant surprise. Um, it is. Now we jump back to the movers and shakers, and they are looking at another file now. And uh, this is a file for someone named Zakir Shastri, a former mercenary who is now the leader of a special task force in Pakistan. Uh-huh. And uh, he is working on behalf of the Padilla. And uh, would, would be would we be giving it all away if we just reveal that the mover and shakers are, are really just Padilla bigwigs? I mean, because that's, <laughs> that's exactly what they are. If, um, you, if, you, if you haven't picked up on that by now, I can't yeah. do nothing for you. You're <laughs> now, alone. Now we join Zakir as he and his band of merry mercs take down a group of bandits in the Pakistani hills. Now this dude is ruthless. Um, we see him slitting throats. He fires on anything that moves. Um, and get this, once the bandits are dispatched, he and his men come upon a group of women and children. Zakir looks at them for a moment. And this is a really well done scene because he looks yeah, at them. It is. And uh, you think that he's going to show mercy. Uh, no, he's not. Uh, he realizes that he'd prefer that these women and children would not breed and multiply. And so he lobs a grenade at them. These are women and children. Yikes. This is one bad, at them. They were one there on their knees, mofo. like crying, frantically scared. This dude does not mess around. Um Ugh. Now, one of Zakir's men directs him over to a trio of prisoners that they've captured from bandit camp. And uh, you might have been able to pick up on this by now. Uh, our man Zakir doesn't take prisoners. So, bang, bang, bang. Oh. These three men who were bound and on their knees were shot in the head. Um, Zakir instructs his men to dig a hole, fill it with bodies, and then cover it with quicklime. So... <laughs> Yeah, Zakir is a ruthless fellow. Man, this guy is, I mean, think about it. We know what his fate is. You know where this is headed. But to me, they just made this guy irredeemable. I mean, that's a perfect word uh, for it. Yeah, I mean, you you don't come back from killing women and children. I'm sorry, you know. Anyone can explain away, you know, war when it comes to, you know, you're killing the other army. You know what I mean? You you can manage to to justify that in your own head. But when it comes to blowing women and children up because you don't want them to multiply with a grenade, you just cross the house there, brother, in my opinion. So. This is this so, is the this is the Anakin Skywalker moment where he kills the kids in the Jedi Temple. You ain't going back. You're pure Darth Vader after this. And and it was such a such a well done scene here. We've given Calamy a bunch of crap here uh, over yep. the past couple of episodes that we've seen him, but uh, you get like I really thought we were gonna see like the softer side of Zakir. We only knew the guy yep. for a page or two. Exactly. But I thought it was gonna be like. It's like, okay, get out of here and don't let me find you again, because if I find you again, then I'll kill you. But no, he just lops a grenade at them. It's intense. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, man. Now we hop back to, back to the uh, Padilla bigwigs, and they're very excited to be working with Zakir soon in a somewhat different capacity. So he's no longer going to be a mercenary for him working on their uh, on their interests around the globe. He's going to be doing something else. And uh, we'll give you two guesses as to what that might be. Uh, Next stop, the New Haven Institute for Human Potential. I don't know if we've ever seen a full name for it, but uh, boy, it is a it is there for human potential. And uh, we pop into the lab of one Dr. Tulima and he is walking alongside an assistant named Randy, who you might (laughs) recognize from the cover, except he's got flesh here. 
and he is asked to fetch the files for a Watanabe and a Windsor. Ah, new recruits, maybe potential replacements for maybe a Sheer or a Brava. I mean, I got to get rid of the uh, the Gillis uh, Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you knew it had to come some point. You know what I mean? So I guess what does it Watanabe and Windsor? I guess uh, we don't know who those folks are right now, but we'll soon find out. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now, just as soon as Randy leaves the scene to go fetch those files, Talima finds himself stood in the shadow of a hulking alien life form. Now, uh, this is the red one from the cover, but here it, it kind of has a lobster face and it's very broad shoulders yep. uh, shouldered. It doesn't look like it kind of looks on the cover. It kind of looks like a like a take on like the, the Kirby thing. Yes. Like he's got like a very rocky hide, but not like the segmented you know plates like he would eventually get. Exactly. Um, but here he's very, very uh, sleek, just very broad, kind of looks like he would be part of the Imperial Guard or something from the X-Men. <laughs> um, now, before this lobster face can attack, Vax pops into the scene and he just wrecks the beast, oh, leaving yeah. leaving nothing but a pile of ash. Piles of ash are going to gather in this book from this point on, I feel. Um, now, Vax... He lays eyes on Talima and looks as though he's about to lay hands on him as well when Randy re-enters the hallway. Vax then decides to shove the dock down to the floor and touch Randy instead. Uh, we figure that he's likely gathering more data like he did with the Horty in a few pages back. Uh, he wants a younger specimen with tighter DNA. I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> younger and tighter, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, anyway. Touch. So Tolima managed to escape death because he's old. So I guess mm. age has his benefits, I guess. <laughs> right age there. before beauty, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, we jump back to the Padilla Bigwigs table, and they've got just one last file to look over. And apparently they've saved the best for last. He might be the best new uh, new recruit, but it is probably the worst scene that we're going to get because it's very, very dull. Um, oh, yeah. now, now, this is for Tam Von Ock an assassin from Cambodia, and perhaps the greatest assassin who has ever lived. Now we join him in the jungle, where he's about to infiltrate a drug-running organization and, uh, you know, kill everybody involved. And over the course of a few pages, he does just that, while showing how adept he is at using many forms of weapon and martial art. And uh, like his, uh, like our man Zakir here, he leaves no witnesses behind, and he blows up the little house hut slash drug factory once he's done. <laughs> Good old Tam Van Ock is your, you know, mm-hmm. he's your stereotypical ninja martial arts character that I love. Listen, I loved that so much back in the 80s, man. Sure. Like I was all about the ninjas. I bought the magazines. I loved buying my quick kick figure with G.I. Joe. I watched those show Kasuji films, Enter the Ninja, Revenge yep. of the Ninja, and God ninja Terminator. Yep. Ninja 3, The Domination. God, check it out. It's so good. And I also used to buy, do you remember Ninja Magazine? If you don't, find some. You know, I think I've heard of it. I'm sure I've seen oh, it. Oh, Chris. Those things are ridiculous. Do you remember wrestling magazines when they used to have like apartment wrestling and oh, other? Oh yeah, CD, they were real CDs? grimy. 
Yeah. Oh, these were the worst. I mean, these had like <laughs> pantyhose ads, wrestling in pantyhose inside them. And they had like all kinds of like brutally grim lessons on how to kill your opponent with nunchucks <laughs> and how to drive a sword in at the right level to kill somebody or take their head off. Those ninja magazines were amazing. I'm telling you right now, go to a used bookstore and scour old magazines and find a couple issues of Ninja. You are going to love it. And I loved it because myself and uh, my cousin used to sit down and we used to scour over these things. His dad used to buy him Ninja magazines all the time. And he used to have ads for like katana swords and throwing stars and all this type of stuff. But we were never allowed to order it in Canada. It was, you know, international shipping was not allowed because it was friggin' weapons in the mail, of course. It's not allowed. (laughs) But I guess you, I guess you, you know, I guess it went, uh, you know, without saying in the U.S. You could just buy, you know, guns and stars. And what were you guys doing in the U.S. at this time? Come on, were you killing each other with swords and guns? What's happening? What is happening in the world? <laughs> I don't a, know. We were lucky enough to have Eric Bischoff and Sonny Ono uh, with their Ninja <laughs> Star Wars uh, Velcro uh, yeah. in the states here. So, did you have that? Oh no, 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 no. Oh, but uh, you know we. You always had that one hookup in school who could like, who could like get you stuff. Yes. I remember like uh, <laughs> the stupidest thing like back in like fifth and sixth grade, people were convinced that you could, uh, and, and the very well might be true, that you could like get a high off of like banaca, the the, the breath spray. Like what? if you if you like like get it in your mouth and spray it, and like <laughs> there was that one kid in the class who could like get tons of it, and. Uh, <laughs> There was also a kid in the class who could get uh, – we used to call them Chinese stars. I guess you don't call them that anymore. No. Um, but we used to – there was a kid in the class who had this hookup for uh, throwing stars. So Like, like legit legit ones? Or oh, yeah. Ones? Oh, no, no, no. Nice. Legit, legit throwing stars. And uh, I remember buying one from him and uh, keeping it in my wallet. So I had it from, from like from like sixth grade to like tenth grade. I had this like triangle throwing star in my wallet. <laughs> the ultimate badass. Just oh, imagine. Yeah. Yeah, just think about this for a second, though. You know, you're approached by a group of thugs. You know, in, you, in your... hold on a second. Let me get. Yeah, my... hold on a second. Just imagine you broke out a throwing star. You know what? <laughs> me as a thug, I'd head for the hills because clearly you're a cre- you are one crazy <laughs> one crazy mofo. Yeah, oh. my God, if he's got throwing stars, what else has this kid got? <laughs> Good Lord. It's, yeah, it's, I, I, I don't think I ever threw it. I think if I, I think I threw it at a tree a few times and it never stuck. Well, you know, it's you like what? hit the ground. <laughs> In high school, we had a guy, because nobody could get these things, but everybody wanted them. Ninjas sure. were the big thing, and everybody rented those ninja movies, so everybody wanted throwing stars. So we had a guy who had a pair of tin snips from his dad's, you know, oh, uh, toolbox. Mm-hmm. Yes, so he had aluminum cans, so he'd cut up Coke and Pepsi cans. He'd pound them out so they're flat, and he'd cut out stars, and then he'd paint them. So he'd always have this little cachet, this box, nice. really full of throwing stars. And he would do detailed ones where, you know, he wouldn't only do like just the the pointed star. He would do ones that have like a the curve. Devils, almost, yeah. Yes. Oh, he did a really good job. And man, he was like a super entrepreneur at the time until he got the, uh, you know, until the principal banned from selling it on the parking lot. That must've been <laughs> devastating to his, you know, 11 year old entrepreneurial business, but uh, no, it was cool. 
We're all about the ninjas, baby. And Mr. Tam Van Ock certainly served that point, didn't he? I remember my my buddy had a crab apple tree in his backyard. Yes. Now, if you've never seen, like, a crab apple is basically just an apple that'll never ripen. You know, it's like the size of, like, yeah, oh, it's awful. And they're very hard. And, like, they're the size of, like, a jumbo cherry. Yep. And I remember we used to get those off the tree. And then he had these thorn bushes. And we used to take the thorns off the bushes and put them in the crab apple. So we'd have like these like these like ninja bombs, <laughs> you know, these thorny, these these thorny things. And we of course we never threw them, but like we thought we were the coolest things in the world having this uh, having these crab apples with thorns in them <laughs> that we would that we would protect the neighborhood with. Did you raid crab apples as a kid? Was that raiding? So one of the things oh. that we used to do. So. I mean, Newfoundland was a different place. There was, you know, it wasn't heavily policed or anything, but kids would, would, you know, enjoy going to, you know, running into somebody's yard and taking a couple apples off someone's tree and running away. It was a thing. And we'd actually organize, myself and my friends would organize raids where we would, you know, (laughs) when we were sleeping out in our tent or something overnight, we'd head down to somebody's house and we'd, you know, slowly squeak into the yard and we'd fill up bags of these things and run for the hills. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were called Apple Raid. We were raiders of the of the crab apple, but we used to eat those things, man. Ugh. We would, oh yeah, we would sit on the hill up by our um, up by our tent, and we'd we'd snack on those crab apples, and man, those would cross your eyes. They are that bitter. Oh, they're bad. We we would do that with uh, with honeysuckle. We would uh, you oh know, yeah, you'd pull yeah, yeah. the little stem out, and that, that that we would have in the there was some boysenberry bushes, which were hopefully <laughs> not poisonous. But I love it. Well, we would raid, we would go to the driving range, um, the uh, local driving range where, where people would, you know, hit golf balls. Yep. And since everything in Long Island is like butted up against the, uh, the woods, uh, we would go into the woods and there would be hundreds of golf balls back there that were, that were hit over the fence. So we would collect these things and we would try to sell them back to the, uh, to the, uh, to the driving range. And sometimes it would work. Sometimes they just tell us to get the hell out <laughs> or sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they'd make us leave the balls and leave. <laughs> so, oh man, that's awesome. Boy, those were, those were the times, brother. Oh, no doubt. And man. it's, I, I love that you put Sho Kasuji in here. I, I just recently watched a bit of one, a movie that I'd heard about on a Rob O'Hara, a Rob O'Hara podcast uh, called multiple, Sa- multiple sadness. Is a, oh yeah, a yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and it's, uh, it's about, bad movies basically and he tells a story about you know how he discovered it and and goes through a whole bunch of stuff here i a lot of a lot of what i do in my solo stuff is kind of informed by uh by what he does um with the with like the personal interjections and stuff but he was talking about uh, a movie called ninja terminator oh absolutely 100 percent oh boy yeah i and i just i found it on youtube and i had to watch it and it is it is bananas and it's like uh, it's like crossed. It's like two movies merged together, and <laughs> it is, yes. and it's like every and like every scene is like mixed together with like somebody on the phone with somebody on in the other movie. So like someone <laughs> in the first movie will pick up the phone and they'll wind up talking to someone who's on the phone in the other movie so they can go do another story thread. And then I I, I think it is actually two separate films though. It I, is. I think you're it right. Yes, yes, yeah. they're just merged. Yep. Yeah, yes, and, and, and and like one of them had like a Garfield phone. <laughs> which is the dumbest looking thing but it was so funny it was just so funny to find to actually see that and that was a show kasuji movie yeah yeah i think i, th- oh, I think it was crap. i gotta rewatch yeah. that I, I rented anything with ninja on the title title so that was that was definitely par for the course oh, loved man. it but uh you know back to the book here um 
this is the point where we get the big reveal that we kind of already spoiled for you. Uh, these movers and shakers are, duh, the Padilla. <gasps> yeah. <Shut laughs> now, now, here's the rub. They want to make more Tory out of these three men. Again, duh. Uh, but they do want to use them in a sort of underground or wet works capacity. Um, wow. These three are not going to be fighting aliens. They're actually going to be just taking down political enemies of Padian interests. Ah. And it's here that we finally get actual confirmation on the Padilla's thoughts on the legit Strike Force moratory. We have a quote here that says, The standard moratory are merely a propaganda tool making us money from the merchandising and royalties. We'll keep them busy doing public battles. They're basically young blood. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I just love that we're finally I mean we've we've been brushing up against this concept oh, yeah. for a while now but we here we finally get the confirmation. Um another shoe is just about to drop because when asked how the Padilla will ever be able to convince this terrible trio to undergo the moratory process which of course means they'll be dead within a year. Oh yes. We get another bombshell dropped on us and it is quote we've been keeping an eye on Dr. Tulima. We've been rummaging through his notes. It looks like he's discovered a cure for the moratory effect. Ah, uh, dun So these Padilla dickheads have a hearty laugh, knowing that everything is coming up roses for them. That's wicked, man. Jeez. Like, we knew that a moratory cure was, was definitely being worked on, but mm-hmm. it's great that, you know, it's Tulima that actually discovered it, because God forbid anybody else discovered oh, yeah. that and held it ransom, you know what I mean? So that's for cool. Sure. And I like what they do here. They're sort of laughing because they've got these, you know, basically a group of criminals and, you know, the bottom of the bottom of the scale when it comes to human beings. And they laugh saying that they've got them because they're promising their blue skies. Mm -hmm. You know, what do they mean by that, that they won't be locked up and never see the light of day anymore? And they promise them that they will be free. I guess that's what that's what I'm taking of it. You know what I mean? Sure. And of course, this is the title of the book. So, you know, the Padilla's intention here is to have a front-facing, media-friendly strike force moratory, and then on the backside, have a secret underground you know, uh, group of infiltrators designed to do their bidding. So, you know, I love that we have the whole two teams, a mm-hmm. fragmented angle, you know what I mean? One good moratory, you know, front-facing for the public, and then just these, you know, seedy assassins in the background with from, you know, different shades of background, from serial killers to, you know, uh, lethal drug-running yeah. assassins, you know what I mean? Really cool. Love it. Oh, yeah. Now, this reminds me of um, probably about probably like 10, 12 years ago, um, they relaunched X-Force uh, at Marvel. Yes. And uh, it was basically a Wolverine run team of like underground covert doing the dirty work for Cyclops, who was trying to keep like a media friendly X-Men, yep. you know? So the X-Men team was not, not so much squeaky clean because they're, you know, they're still hated and feared, but uh, they had moved to San Francisco. They'd gotten like a PR assistant. So, I mean, they were working on like, really making their image uh, as, you know, trustable superheroes, you know, the, the guys who will save you, the people who will uh, will save the world time and again. But there's still bad people that need to be dealt with. Oh, yeah. And so and so X-Force was uh, was brought back and you had you had Wolverine, you had Warpath, you had X-23, you had Psylocke, you had Marrow, I think you had all these sort of, uh, you know, morally nebulous mutants <laughs> who were part of this. I think the Vanisher was part of it for a bit, I believe. So it was just like uh, very, very underground, very, you know, 
you you guys get your hands dirty, but you know you it won't reflect on us because no one's gonna even know you exist. Exactly. You know, you're you're the group that's there, but you don't you don't on on record you don't exist. So I think that's kind of what it. we're getting here with this this uh, terrible trio here. It's a uh, very interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. Now uh, we do uh, pop back here to a brief stop with Doctor Tolima, who is uh, calling in the odd attack on Randy. Uh, to whoever is on the other end of the phone. And uh, after this, we head back to the Super Train. Super Train! Where right. Yuri instructs the team that at their next stop, they're going to be picking up their new teammates. And, uh, and Dan wonders if these might be the new ones that Will instructed him not to trust. Oh, boy. If it's uh. the ones we're thinking about, it certainly is. Yes. But, uh, anyway. <laughs> now, we, we wrap up this issue with Vax117, hopeful that the rest of his kind will soon be earthbound. And it looks as though they're not going to be keeping him or us waiting for all that long. We close with the Horde seeing something very strange and very large warping towards Earth's atmosphere. All right. Mm-hmm. Next issue, Living in the Shadow. Man. You know what? This was a great issue. Think about what we think about what we got here. People that say that this book went off a cliff, I mean, think about it. Okay, this issue alone, we were introduced to Vex 117, brand new alien creature, you know, brought in by the Beacon. Will DeGucci comes back, and we see yep. his, you know, he reveals a whole bunch of secrets, and we get his death. We mm-hmm. get a new mystery unfolding, you know, with Sheer, and plus, we get the introduction of a whole cast of new characters. Yep. We got a whole new group of like underground moratory being assembled. We got aliens answering Talima's beacon. We got Scanner with a new suit and apparently new powers. Mm-hmm. We got insight on the Hordian origins. Lots of learnings here. I mean, this thing is bursting at the seams. Yeah. And we get the first appearances of, you know, the new moratory. We got, you know, Julio Gonzalez, the homeless killer, who's, you know, a framed prisoner who, you know, Maybe he's not so framed because he's killing people in the cell, but, you know, the <laughs> red cougar himself. Then you get Zakir Shastri, yeah, Shastri, the Pakistanian mercenary. And then we get our new ninja assassin, the Cambodian friend, Mr. Tam Van Ock. So, I mean, I just love this issue. There's so much, so much to talk about, man. Totally, totally. I think, you know, if there's one thing we get out of this show, I'd love to... If we were able to send an email to Peter Gillis and know that he'd answer us, because, you know, I don't know what we don't know where his story was heading. But the impression that we get um, when we discuss this with uh, with folks is that Hudnall basically scrapped everything that was going on. Like uh, Hudnall went his own way, trashed everything that was uh, that was good about this book. But I mean, Gillis had planted the seeds about the Padilla being untrustworthy. Absolutely. And so this feels like a natural progression of that storyline, um, which is the crux of the storyline at this point, because uh, we don't want to spoil anything. But two issues from now, there's a caption on the very cover of the book that says the end of the war. So yeah. we don't know what's coming after that. Uh, so there there could be a whole new world after that. So. We don't know what Gillis had planned for the war. Was the war never going to end? Was it all? Was this book going to go hundreds of issues with the war never ending? We don't know. So I I'd, know. I'd love to hear, uh, like, and and just like, what was his idea for Sheer? What was his idea for Deguchi? Was Deguchi ever going to come back in in the alternate timeline where Gillis and Anderson stayed on the book? I, I I'd really like to know. And the one thing that I I still have a little bit of trouble with is we don't have 
we never saw Talima come back. Yeah. He's just there and we're expected to accept it. And at this point, we're like four issues in. So it's like we've already forgotten that he left. Yes. So it's uh, it feels like they pulled uh, pulled the fast one on us because uh, we're just like over it. It's like, OK, he's back, whatever. That, that but, being that being said, Hodnell is really blazing his own trail here because, yeah. like you said, he's taken some of the aspects that were being built on earlier by Gillis. But, uh, man, he's really done. He's he this is not bad at all. Like, this yeah. is really good storytelling. I tell you what, I, I, I I'm really digging what he's trying here. So mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. And uh we have these questions of uh, who are the new ones here. We have we from what we can see here, just from this very issue, we have five potential new characters. Yes, a, a tandem of two in Watanabe and Windsor, and we have the terrible trio of the of the you know covert Black Ops X Force moratory. Um, so it's like, which ones are they going to be picking up at the next stop? Is mm. Scanner going to trust nobody because he doesn't know who not to trust? So is he going to not trust anybody? Is well, he going to distrust got, people who he should trust? It's it's weird. If he's got psychic abilities, he should be able to decipher that really quickly, wouldn't you think? I don't think he knows how to use them yet. Ah, so, yeah, maybe he just got Deguchi eyes and that was it. <laughs> he might have been. <laughs> so a really solid issue. Solid, solid issue. I enjoyed it a lot. I remember, you know, earlier in the week when we were putting together this uh, this script and this uh, these these show notes, it was. Uh, we both couldn't wait to discuss this because oh, no. it's just it. so much meat on the bone here. So interesting. And uh, I really hope we're not getting our hopes up. <laughs> for I, I read I read this at work mm-hmm. and um, and during a conference call I should have been paying attention to. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, my God, this is this is amazing. So I had to write you right away. I thought yeah. I just loved it. I loved oh, it. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, had it been under uh, Bagley's pencil, uh, I think it would have been an all timer. But yeah, uh, Calamy did it. You know, it, it wasn't as you know desolate as no, it wasn't. 22. He, he did a good job. If this man could draw backgrounds, I mean, the characters themselves look good. They were look rich fine, looking. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he could have used some, uh, you know, so so some extra crayons from the pack. He should have bought the large pack of crayons instead yes. of like the single eight, you know, uh, <laughs> eight pack variety from the dollar shop. But outside of that, <laughs> I dug and, I dug his artwork here. Yeah. The one thing I paid attention to is when uh, when Dan woke up, I, I looked on his I looked in his bed to see if it was <laughs> just like too. a crisp white corner is the Flintstones bed. And there actually were a few wrinkles in the uh, sheet. So I was like, OK, yep, and he, we're getting he had there. Some, and he had some socks strewn about the floor as well. Yes. So it really added. Maybe they heard us. Maybe, maybe he's doing these live as we do he the broadcast. <laughs> That's why it takes so long to get to the house. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this was a solid issue. If, if you guys have given up this book, um, give give this a shot. Give this a shot here. Uh, we, you know, it may not rock your socks the way the earlier issues did, but it's uh, I think it's stuff that's worth reading. It's worth checking out, especially if you've invested all the time in reading the you know the quote unquote good stuff. You know, if you read the twenty issues. It ain't going to kill you to try these because uh, oh, no. you might like it. You might find you like it. We we didn't think we were going to like it, and, and here we are. Oh, we're, we're digging it the most, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, letters page. Oh, okay. This is really full. I can't wait. So, you know, you, do you want do you, do you want to do the first letter, and I'll do, like, the next one, and we'll we'll do that because we got so many to cover here. <laughs> oh, oh, there's a ton. No, no, there, there is no letters page again. <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah, so uh, – and it's weird because like they were really promoting the hell out of this new team when we hated them, but now that we like them, it's like, eh. <laughs> let's just let it pass. Uh, bullpen bulletins, we do 
have some bullpen bullets. Here, yes. Always. They start with the quote of the month. You want to hit them with the quote of the month? Oh, anything. I think this is from a Star comic, so I can't wait to do this one. It says, <laughs> a vampire casts no reflection, nor can his image be captured on film. A minor obstacle for a career as a movie star. It's from Igor from Count Duckula number one. So there you go. Mm-hmm. I, I own one issue of Count Duckula, and it's the one where he meets Geraldo. <laughs> oh, I own issue number one, and probably that's it. Probably. I, I don't think I've ever looked at it, but I, I did get it because of the cover. <laughs> it's like 50 cents for, for a Geraldo Rivera cover? I'll take oh, it. Oh, God, i got to read that now. <laughs> now, news. We have news. We have news items. Uh, the first item, Alex and Judy Saviak welcome their second child, Erica Marie, into the world. She was born June 19th, 1988, which was also the Saviak's wedding anniversary as well as Father's Day. So big yeah. day for Alex. What are they doing in that bullpen? It's like a bunch of genetic jackhammers in there. They're they're constantly mm-hmm. spilling out children in there, but okay. They are okay. reproducing at a rapid rate. Um, <laughs> item, assistant editors are now attending a weekly assistant editors workshop every Thursday. Hey, Imagine what an that. idea. Imagine, Imagine. This is a program jump-started by Tom DeFalco and his right-hand man, Mark Grunwald. And, uh, I got to say, a program like this could probably be of use during current year, right? Uh, Maybe especially if you require that these fake-ass editors leave their cell phones back at their desks when they attend this meeting. Oh, my God. Listen, IDW, if you're listening, please go with this because we could actually have an issue of Transformers and we could have it seem rational or irrational when uh, the next issue of Transformers has My Little Pony. I mean, uh, I I am too upset to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Move on. That's, that's like that saying, you know, if, if you if you start a pitch with, wouldn't it be cool or funny if? No, it's probably not the pitch to go with. No, who who came up with that? Who nah. said? Who thought in their infinite wisdom, we'll we'll take all these franchises, we will take GI Joe and Transformers. I mean, prime IPs. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. I mean, take a look what Rob Liefeld done with done with Snake Eyes. Mm-hmm. This man sold a ton of books doing this brand new Snake Eyes dead game thing. Because why? He took the material. He read the old Marvel comics. He understood. And by God, he banged out a great issue. But the morons over at Transformers thought it was a great idea to take, hey, why don't we incorporate My Little Pony with Transformers? I am ready to find people at IDW and hunt them down for that. (laughs) Enough! Wouldn't it be funny if? No, it wouldn't. (laughs) No, it would not. Jesus! Uh, but that is the news. Um, on to our profile, Mr. Mike Rockwitz. <laughs> now, he is the assistant editor on Marvel Comics Presents. Which Speedball. everybody is, apparently. Seems like it. I think we have yeah. credits in there, too. Uh, Speedball, Excalibur, Wolfpack. Uh, it feels like we always hear from editors of those books. I know. We've mentioned I Excalibur, so. Marvel Comics Presents, and Speedball like every episode so far. I guess they got nothing better to do. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Rockwitz is also the managing editor on Saga of the Submariner, or Submariner, as I used to call him. (laughs) The Submariner. The Submariner. The first time I heard the comic shop guy say Submariner, like my head could have exploded. I'm like, wait, what? uh, So so, (laughs) I used to screw up names as well. So can you settle this for me? Sure. It's it's Magneto, correct? Yes. Right. not Magneto. no, I had a friend who you constantly called him Magneto, Magneto. And and I was justified when it finally came to the big screen and they said Magneto. So I was like, yeah, there you go. Stick that up your Magneto ass. <laughs> <laughs> now, Man. 
Mr. Rockwitz has some freelance credits, both past and current. Uh, in the past, he was the colorist on Conan the King number 44 and yeah. a bunch of paste-ups. Oh. Okay. Uh, current credits. He's the colorist on Wolfpack and, Wolfpack, and he did the script on a Machine Man issue. Mm, it loves me Machine Man. If anyone knows me, I dig some Machine Man. I loved it. Ever since they uh, started in the uh, 2001 thing with Jack Kirby, right on up to the Ditko stuff right at the end of his original series, man. I dug it. Barry Windsor Smith, Machine Man, the, the four-issue limited series. Hunt that down. It's beautiful. Have you have you ever read when they tried to shoehorn Machine Man into the X-Men books? Oh, yes. Oh, that was... Uh, <laughs> It was, you know what? It was Machine Man, so I was just happy to have Machine Man. So it's like Speedball joining the New Warriors. I had to buy it. There you go. That was that was such a bad run of stuff there. That was uh, the M Tech. <laughs> yes. That, that spun out of an Uncanny X Men annual where they fought the Red Skull for some reason. <laughs> and uh, the M Tech line was was Warlock, but not Adam Warlock. It was uh, you know the the techno That's the right. techno one. Uh, but it was like a mixture of Doug Ramsey and Warlock, sorta, like spinning out of the Excalibur book. Uh, there was another, a new Deathlock, who wasn't the same Deathlock as oh, uh, as oh, we heard. It was, could not stand that version of him. Oh, and it was uh, it was Joe Casey writing. Who yes. I, I like Joe Casey no, a lot. I do too. But, but this was like this was like that thing where it tries to sound a little bit smarter than it is. So like anytime it would say something, it'd be like Webster's dictionary defines this as, and it would fill in like a definition. It's like, come on, dude, stop. Uh, but, uh, the, the one that the issue that uh, the title that rounded that out was X 51, the machine man, where he, yep. uh, spent like eight issues fighting the hellfire club and then got canceled. So not great. Um, <laughs> back to Mr. Rockwitz here. His hobbies include going to white castle, Slam dancing, stage diving, getting crew cuts, collecting T-shirts and hats of awful pro sports teams. <laughs> Slam dancing? Mm-hmm. What the hell is that? I think it's something you do like at a, at a punk rock concert or something. Heavy oh, you're okay. You're sort of yeah. just freaking out, bouncing off each other's chest and that type of crap. Is yeah, it? You, you take some poppers and you just start bouncing. Um, <laughs> now, what he is most proud of is his ability to in, to imitate people, not intimidate, imitate. So he, oh. uh, we got a regular, uh, a regular. Who's that guy? Uh, who's that guy who did the imitations? Really uh, annoying guy. I don't remember his name. The what? The what guy? I'm trying to think of the guy who did the impressions. Uh, God, from like, he's like from like the 60s and 70s. Uh, I don't mm. remember his name, but he he used to do a. I had his name right there and I lost it. Never mind. Sorry about that. Oh, uh, we will we will figure that out later. <laughs> not Henny Youngman. Not Henny Youngman. Uh, Rich Little. There he is. Oh, Rich Little. Oh my regular God. Rich Little here. Rich Little. Canadian. Not. I was gonna say icon, but I don't want to. <laughs> it's, I can't it's like, stand the guy. I'll be honest. I don't, I don't like the guy at all. I am not a crook. Oh, okay, good. Oh, <laughs> yes. That stupid Nixon impression where he's shaking his jaws and he's got the piece. In. Oh, man. And that was his big thing. That was his, like, showstopper. That's it. He was, re- he was really not good. No, no, he like was his, not. Like, that was it. That was his coup de grace. Rich, oh, Rich Little. The tragic. Tragic Canadian hero. He's like he's like those, uh, like, really bad impressionists or impersonators who, uh, who, like, will say the name of the person they're impersonating. Like, it's like, hi, I'm Ronald Reagan. And Oh, can you imagine his Trump impression? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. It probably starts with, hi, I'm Donald Trump. And I'm, I'm Donald Trump. The people love me. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just this. Oh, just crap. Hate that. 
Oh, so we got to maybe we'll have Mike Rockwitz on to do some impersonations. <laughs> Can you do Nixon, sir? Can you do Rich Little? Um, <laughs> his uh, his pet peeves include straight edgers. Oh, he, he hates me. OK. Yeah, Fair me enough. too. Fair he enough. hates New Jersey skinheads. Me too. He hates false metal bands and Dusty Rose, not Dusty Rhodes in particular. Dusty Rose, the color. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a band. I, I, I've never heard of Dusty Rose. but uh, <laughs> Dusty Rose is like a shade of shitty pink that a lot of people would have in their houses at the, in the 80s. And they, 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 have, they have a hard time, baby. They have hard times. They have hard times, baby. <laughs> uh, Mike Rockwitz was born in the USA. Oh, look at you. Yeah. His oddest habit is shouting 20 pieces of chicken. For no reason at all. <laughs> There's medication for that, sir. I was gonna say, you know, if you if uh, the only time I would shout that is if I actually wanted 20 pieces of chicken. Oh man, I'm hungry for chicken now. All the same, 20 pieces of chicken. There you, there go. you go. Please bring us 20 issues, 20 20 issues of chicken. <laughs> you could send them to a Weird Comics History. You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, who would play him in a movie? Jacko, oi! Oh, oh, man, new and a joys. I got to surprise ya! <laughs> oh my God, Jacko! I haven't thought about that guy in like years since well, since the eighties. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So anyone who does yes, and a joys. It's going to surprise ya. So you you got this guy. So he was a spokesman and an over-the-top spokesman. He was this jacked, jacked. like oh, buzz, man. like he had the sting, like a California haircut, the big buzz. Uh, and he talked really loud and abrasive like this. And he, he sold Energizer batteries. Yeah. 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 Oi. <laughs> uh, I loved him. I thought Jacko oh, was total. Totally. Yeah. I think he was on Holiday. I think he was on uh, Hollywood Squares one time. I think I recall Jacko being on there. I thought it was believe- funny. Yeah. Yes. I, I, would, I would like to see him and Jim J. Bullock on the same screen. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, anytime <laughs> your life leads you to sharing a square with uh, Jim J. Bullock, you know that uh, you're done it. for. <laughs> <laughs> now, why did Mr. Rockwitz choose comics? Because he always wanted to. Honest. Yeah. Okay. Uh, people in high school thought he was insane. Oh, he's just copying off of someone else now. Yeah, yeah. Mm. His favorite performers include Carnivore. Nuclear oh. Assault, Leeway, Uppercut, Raw Deal, Breakdown, First Order, and Rampage. Do people really like those like bands? Is is that just a thing where you know you're you're doing that to be cool, or is it something that you know people actually enjoy? I can't imagine going home and I'm sitting back after work and I turn it on and you know the yeah, radio Lord comes Jill. on. <laughs> this is all watching Devil. No, come on, nobody listens to that. Crap. Stop it. <laughs> We might have to talk to our buddy Mark about that. <laughs> oh, that's true. Mark Radlich, if you're listening, nobody likes war for Nobody likes that's crap. Come on. Nobody likes uppercut? Come on. <laughs> Go listen to Metal Hammer of Doom on the Radlich and Broadcasting <laughs> Network on W2M. <laughs> there you go. That's your plug. <laughs> there you go. Now, the last good book that Rockwitz read was Clive Baca's Book of Blood. I've actually read that. I and that see was Clive. Yeah. Listen. Clive Barker back in the day, man, I, I dug his stuff around Hellraiser time. I was uh, I was rent the, taking those books out from the library, and you know hmm. they were they were some weird stuff, man. I mean, you talk about Stephen King who did some demented stuff in the book. Clive Barker was demons and you know cutting eyeballs and bleeding people out and just whoa. Yeesh. Yeah, yeah he, I, he was he, he was bad. He was bad yeah. news. 
books books without pictures i I don't usually read unless they're uh, (laughs) unless i have to for school uh now the last good movie that he saw was the godfather um i've never seen the godfather what uh, i've seen it yeah i'm sure that's a huge surprise to to folks listening (laughs) um now his biggest influences include petrus Steele, okay jack kirby john buscema michael higgins fuzzy oh kenny whoever they are George the Animal Steel and the Wild Moon Dogs. The Moon Dogs, gotta talk about them. They're a wrestling <laughs> team, so the Moon Dogs. Uh, and you know what's funny about the Moon Dogs, Chris? Hmm. Do you know that one half of the original Moon Dogs was from Newfoundland? How about that? Really? Yeah, really? how about that tying it all together with your co-host here? So he was actually Moon Dog King. He became known later on as Sailor White. And uh, he teamed with a guy called Moondog Rex. Now, who is Moondog Rex, and why should you care? Well, wrestling fans of the 80s knew a tag team called Demolition. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Demolition Smash was not always the Demolition Smash you remember. He was actually Moondog Rex, Randy Cully. So they actually changed out smashes midstream, and Barry Darso took over and became, of course, the iconic team with... Um, Oh, my God. Bill X. Yeah, Bill Eady of X, and it was really cool. But anyway, the Moondogs, my, uh, you know, our guy, Sailor White, uh, actually won the tag straps back in 1981 from Rick Martell and Tony Gurria. There you go. Huh. And then, of course, he had this massive drug problem and was kicked out of the U.S., and uh, we never saw him again. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's crazy? And this is all kinds of, like, ten levels of separation here. But, uh, you know... Just before COVID, I was doing some uh, work with a wrestling organization, and mm. the reason why they existed was because of Sailor White. How about that? So, you know, my uh, my, together. my little foray into doing some color commentary and ring announcing is all because of uh, the Moondogs here, who was called out. Pretty cool. There's your factoid. Now you know, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing is half the battle. It's half the battle. <laughs> Unfulfilled ambition for Mr. Rockwitz is to regain the Marvel Boxing Championship from Dave, the Bayside Buzzsaw Wall. Whoa, boxing championship. All right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, The worst part of his job is not having his championship belt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. He's one of those guys in the airports wearing the championship. I love those people. (laughs) When when nobody's looking, he moshes in place. He's a headbanger. He is. He is. Uh, now, one thing that the people need to know is that he would like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. <laughs> and he would also like to buy them a White Castle hamburger. Okay, I'll listen, I'll still take that White Castle hamburger all the same. I'll Might be cheaper than a Coke these days, right? Oh, yeah. oh so, man, listen, like I said, my, my dad used to sell Coke and that, that Coke commercial, you know, I'd like to teach the world mm-hmm. to sing. You know, that was a big deal back then. That was a sure. huge, huge drawing card, so... Oh, very iconic my, commercial. Yeah, you still yeah, my, you still hear about it today. Yeah, my family uh, had that on speed dial, so that was <laughs> that was that was always going. Now that is Mike Rockwitz, and uh, you know what? The Mighty Marvel checklist is back. Oh, kinda, because nothing has a blurb at all. It's just a list. Um, Strike Force Moratory number twenty-four, no blurb. Nothing has a blurb. It's really not a whole lot notable here. Uh, the only thing that really jumped out was uh, Havoc and Wolverine Meltdown number one. Well, deluxe format, bought number yeah. one right away as soon as it came out. Super excited until I actually purchased it and uh, thumbed through the first one. <laughs> and I never went back. Never went I, back. 
I was so hyped for that after the fact because uh, there was a <laughs> there was a Wolverine and Havoc uh, trading card, a uh, team up trading card with Marvel Universe Series three. Yes. And anything that had a trading card, I was automatically hyped for because I oh, thought, for like, sure. I like, oh, it's a, it's you know, it's history, it's comics history. It has a card, damn it. Um, then I, I got it and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this it, is what that's it is. painted. That's painted. It correct? is painted. It's, yeah. yeah. It and it's really, really off-putting it's too. Abstract. So they do, yeah. yeah, they do like the Bill Sykenwitz type of uh, <laughs> type I, of stuff in there. I always thought it was Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh, Sienkiewicz, I don't think yes. it is. I, I, it's like maybe it's John Jeez. J. Muth or something. I don't know, but it's yeah. He he definitely looks uh, he definitely looks like Sienkiewicz there doing that. I mean, yeah, I can't stand that it. Vibe. Yeah, for sure. But uh, but yeah, I mean, does, I don't think anything else really sticks out on this uh on this list here. They're uh, isn't a whole heck of a lot to it that's worth talking about. I mean, Definitely. I think the X-Men, are, they're in Inferno, but we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Yep. Um, yeah, that's about it. So uh, we will get off this page and uh, talk about some adverts. And uh, the first ad that we got, uh, it's this is from Strike Force Moratory. We have two from uh, from this comic because they're, you know, they're, they're house ads and they generally suck. Um, one is for Marvel Masterworks. Now, these are the hardbound books that go for or that went for a lot of money. Um, And we have Fantastic Four, Amazing Spider-Man and Uncanny X-Men getting their second volumes and Avengers getting their first volume. You have any uh, memories of the Marvel Masterworks editions? Oh, Chris, I saved up my mascot money Mm -hmm. at the mall (laughs) for Moonlighting as Elf. And, buddy, I purchased Marvel Masterworks, Amazing Spider-Man number one from New England Comics. I had no idea what to expect. They only had like a very small thumbnail picture of the the book in their catalog. You know, it said hardbound, but man, I was not prepared. When I slid that thing out of the box, I was literally in awe. I mean, this thing was big. You open it up. It was, you know, really slick, exploding with colorful pages. Like it blew it blew away the originals like 10 times. It, it took me back. I was like, oh, my God, these are so amazing. And then my parents found out how much I spent on it, yeah. and I never, ever got another one. <laughs> so what were they? I, what did they what did they cost up in uh, up in Canada? Oh, oh, Christ, they were thirty thirty five dollars a piece at the time The one, when I purchased this one. And I mean, that was a lot of cash back then as a kid trying to, you know, gather your shillings together to buy that. And plus, you know, getting my weekly books that I normally got as well through them. But, uh, man, I had to throw that in there. But I did not expect it to be that high quality. I mean, the covers, it comes with a slipcase over the top. It's got a hardbound edition. And these comics look beautiful. Trust me, if you if you want a good uh, a good buy, those Marvel Masterworks are definitely worth buying. They are incredible. Yeah, I'm looking here. First, let's see here. The uh, Amazing Spider-Man, um, ha- the first volume of Marvel Masterworks here has Amazing Fantasy 15 and Amazing Spider-Man 1 through 10. Yep. Uh, regular edition, $49.99. Yep. That's I, very expensive. That's that's but, like and I, uh, I got it. I got it on discount, man. I only paid sure. 30-something dollars for it. And, I mean, that was considered a deal, but, whew, I was sweating paying for that one. Oh boy, here let's see here. I'm looking at uh, Tales to Astonish. Oh, they don't even have that one listed here at the website. Wow. What uh, do they retail for? Like, what can you purchase them for now if you had to buy them? Ah, uh, fifty bucks. 
Oh, still fifty bucks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They they do now have soft cover versions though. Yeah, yeah. I saw those. Those are not as impressive, but I still like them. Sure, sure. I mean, these these books were the ones on the shelf that you could that I was like afraid to touch. Uh, it yep. was these and uh, those DC ones. What were they called? The uh, oh, the showcase. The archives editions. The oh, archives oh, the old oh, the archi- yeah, Oh, yeah. Those are beautiful. And those are fifty bucks too. Yep. But they're um, worth every nickel. Oh, oh yeah, because yeah, you, yeah, I mean, this is, you got to realize, I mean, this is the late '80s, so you didn't have, you couldn't Google these things, you couldn't, they weren't putting out dollar versions of these things. You might get lucky and like there'd be like a Marvel Tales with a, an old Spider-Man that you wanted to check out, but there really wasn't the, the reprint market wasn't what it is now, and it wasn't so easy to come upon these things. So if you wanted to read them, you had to get these tremendously expensive collections and. uh Wrong. Oh, I remember. Uh, God, probably around the turn of the century, uh, they they advertised that the Batman Archive Edition, the first volume, was going to go for twenty dollars and uh, yeah. instead of fifty. So I bought it, and all it was it was it was the same book, but it had a a, a sheet in the back of it. So it's it, it comes poly or it comes shr- shrink bagged, you know, shrink wrapped. Oh yeah. And instead of having the regular cover, it had a different cover with a different UPC code on it that just said, you know, 1999 instead of 49.99. So I was able to get in on the archive editions for nice. a, a third of the price or whatever. So well but, done, my friend. But yeah, those are very expensive and scary when you're a kid because you, you want them yep. so bad and you just ain't gonna go. Uh, the other ad we got here is Inferno. X-Men oh. Inferno. Uh, any memories of uh of that? Loved uh, it. Series? So this this was right in my comic buying prime 1988. <laughs> and man, I seen those covers with Madeline Pryor and Mr. Sinister and sure. I ate I ate every bit of that up. I bought all those crossovers. I bought the shitty John Romita Jr. Uh, uh, Daredevil, Daredevil issues of Inferno. Yep. Oh yeah, I, I I dug this entire series. It's one of my favorites still to this day, and I I always wanted to buy a trade of it. I still don't have it. I still always have my single issues, but I want a bound edition of Inferno. Just so many good memories of that. And I know I've I've read it recently, and I actually uh, it was one of the times that I subscribed to uh, Marvel Unlimited, mm-hmm. and um, I I've read Inferno recently, and uh, I mean it's okay. Uh, but sure. uh, it's it's pretty chinchy when you read reread it now. But uh, back in the day, that was everything. I mean, these crossovers were what I lived and died for. Sure, that was actually the first X Men trade I ever bought. Oh, uh, nice! Because I was so excited because I heard that because I was you know a neophyte. You know, I was learning my X Men history at the time. Absolutely. And, you know, after discovering that X Factor was originally the original five X-Men and and they thought the Uncanny team was dead, but they were living in Australia. Yeah. This was like the first crossover where everybody met again. So this is where X Factor and X the X-Men crossed paths and they knew they weren't dead. And I, it was just I wanted to see that so bad because you had things that came before it, like Fall of the Mutants and the Mutant Massacre. where. Yeah. Those stories were going on in every, in all the books, but they didn't they didn't cross. Right. So like you would just get three branded issues of Fall of the Mutants in X Factor, which didn't cross over with New Mutants, didn't cross over with Uncanny X Men, but with Inferno, you actually started seeing the players shift around and to see you know the original five as X Factor on the same page as you know Wolverine and Havoc and and uh, Rogue and seeing that they're all alive still, I, I just Loved it. Loved that it was a yep. thing. 
Yeah, it was so, it was huge at the time. Like I, I sure. lived through the hype and all that stuff. And you got a couple of the, you know, comic reader and the industry industry mags at the time. And they were really hyping this thing as the next big thing. Sure. And it felt like it, too. I mean, when you're at the stands, you know, people were actually stepping outside of their box and buying Inferno, which was mm-hmm. which was a big drawing card. I'd love to see the sales figures for uh, for X-Men back in the day. But oh, yeah. I, rec- I recall that thing being hot, man. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun here. Yeah. Uh, but those are all the ads for this book, but we do have some ads from other Marvel comics with the December 1988 cover date. The first one is for Airwolf. Ah, were you an Airwolf fan? No. No, I love <laughs> I loved everything, man. Like 80s TV was everything. So Dukes of Hazard, uh, Knight Rider. I'm not allowed to say Dukes of Hazard, am I? We can, we'll have to edit that out. I don't like that, by the way. That's crap. Racist crap. Anyway, anyway, uh, I love I love Dukes of Hazard and I liked uh, Knight Rider, but then Airwolf came out and it was this supercharged. Anyone who doesn't know what Airwolf is, uh, Jan Michael Vincent, uh, who was you know the hunky guy, the hunky Hollywood actor at the time, uh, had this supercharged, super powered uh, helicopter, helicopter called yeah. Airwolf. And I mean, this thing was uh, you know it was a weekly TV show. And, you know, they went on missions and, you know, flying this thing around, blowing stuff up. And it was super cool. But the only thing that really bothered me, I like to have action figures of the stuff that I used to watch. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So A-Team, I had my A-Team collection. I had my giant-sized Mr. T figure. I had my Michael Knight figure. You know what I mean? I had my Duke boys in the the General Lee. Mm -hmm. But Airwolf, for some reason, you could not find a damn thing, at least in my area. But... So there's some merchandising that were available. So, you know, they managed to get like an Ertel, you know, die cast helicopter. Yeah. Ertel, yeah. So it was one of those things. And they had another one with a three pack with just a normal helicopter and a Jeep. But, you know, not impressive. You still couldn't play. Mm-hmm. But overseas, they had these weird figures. And I had seen photos of these things in magazines, but none that I ever see on my toy shelves. Now, they had. Uh, I don't know if they were Spanish or whatever. What what is that? Aguila de Fogo or whatever they call it. Spanish, yeah. Yeah, I think there was a Spanish version, and you had two action figures, an army jeep, and Airwolf. And, I mean, I just thought that was the coolest thing, but I could never find them. The only thing that I did see, the coup de grace, of course, of Airwolf toys, uh, you could get the small RC copters. So, you know, those things, you'll probably see them at a mall, at a kiosk, and you got some guy showing you how to fly them. You know what I mean? They're readily mm-hmm. available wherever you go. But they had a giant-sized supercopter. And, I mean, these things were big. I mean, it took two hands to carry it. Oh, and it was radio-controlled. And the only thing that made it Airwolf, it didn't look like Airwolf at all. It just had an Airwolf sticker on it, <laughs> which was good enough for me. Sure. <laughs> I was cool with that and, uh, you know, never did have it. But one of my friends did certainly have it and, you know, bugged me to death that he did have it. And if you really screwed around with the windows, you could fit action figures inside it. Oh, okay. You sort of had to break the windows out to do that. So (laughs) I I certainly would have. Sure. (laughs) But the only thing that I really technically ever did with with Airwolf as a kid was the classic, classic that everybody loves so much from everybody's favorite game maker, Acclaim. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I mean, nothing's, you know, WrestleMania. Think about that game, how good that oh, was. Oh, yeah. Awesome stuff. <laughs> Airwolf for NES by acclaim. This was uh, this was tragedy at, at every level. But terrible, it, terrible game. It is the only time you'll ever see an 8-bit Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. He is, is on the start screen. 
<laughs> it uh, it slowly devolves from the start screen. So the the start screen yeah. of Airwolf with the little MIDI theme of dee 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 and all that type of stuff. That's <laughs> as good as the game gets because everything else from there goes to pot. And if you don't believe me, grab an emulator online and just play that thing and try it yourself. It's oh, yeah. uh, it's bar trash. Not great. Um, we have an ad called Yours from Nickelodeon, which uh, yes. is like a catalog page here where you could buy Nickelodeon merch. Uh, you can get a Double Dare t-shirt. You can get a Finder's Keepers t-shirt. Get a uh, a painter's cap because painter painter's caps were like yes. the thing. They were the, the hotness back then. Um, you can get a backpack. And if you order something with that's worth like a... 20 bucks or 25 bucks or more you get a free yo-yo hey well yeah. i don't know what to think of that we we really didn't have uh anything to do with the um with nickelodeon at all in canada we we actually didn't get it the only hmm. thing we we had some random shows that were televised on canadian television like you can't do that on television different yeah, like things King like Wheel that and stuff right yeah but uh we didn't technically have like Nickelodeon. And the only time that I ever saw Nickelodeon was when I would go to the States for holidays. So, okay. you know, Nick at, that's the first time I ever saw Nick at Night. It's the first gotcha. time I saw any of the other stuff. But uh, it was a big deal because we didn't have it. So mm. it was sort of that thing that, uh, you know, you guys had in Cool Club here in the U.S. <laughs> and uh, us poor Canadians were deprived of, again, while we were watching reruns of Rocket Robin Hood and uh, tragic cartoons like that. <laughs> What is that show? Uh, it's a Canadian show. The, yep. the Trouble with Tina or The Trouble with. Oh, Lord, what is it? Oh, man, it was like a it was like a sitcom that was on every single day uh, <laughs> for uh, for like uh, for like several years in the 70s here. Tr- is it The Trouble with Tina? The Trouble Maybe. with Tina. Oh, boy, I can't, I can't find it. But uh, it, there was a trouble with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just i've seen like little bits and pieces of it uh yeah i can't find it uh I'll have to, we'll have to do this another time for the for the, the trouble tr- with the trouble with maggie cole no no it's a uh, it just came up in the google search yeah hmm. the trouble with tracy that's it yes that was a seven yes that's that's an old old show that was from ctv i think that's like from the early 70s man that yeah. sucks <laughs> And it ran like every single day for like two years Whoa. or something like that. That went on. That had like, that had catacombs of episodes, man. I 130. Think was like, <laughs> 130. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that was garbage. You know what? We didn't get much of that. I think that was canceled in Canada. So you probably, you guys probably got the leftovers of that one. Oh, that's funny. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow! Terrible were you, show. Were you a big pinwheel fan? Growing up, yeah, I thought, it, yeah, I thought it was good. We didn't get much of it, but uh, we did get, uh, we definitely did get pinwheel. So, uh, yeah, I thought I liked it, absolutely. Yes, I, I know online they were looking for a uh, a a little cartoon from Pinwheel for years. Oh, what that, was that? Uh, it was called the Clockman. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. And and people were like freaking out about it because they thought it was like a fever dream and everybody thought like people were making it up and it was like a like a like just a scary story online and then they actually found the thing and you, you could see it if you wanted to find was it. Was there episodes of that? It's just a it's just a little yeah, cartoon like the little short. segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. shorts. Yeah, and and it's ah, pretty cool. weird, but uh, yeah, it's there. Oh, I'd like to look back at that again. That's cool. Yeah, and, neat. And this ad reminds me of the time that I actually I got a a Nickelodeon T-shirt from a family member for a birthday or something. And uh, I wore it to school, and it was not a good idea. 
<laughs> did you get heckled? Oh, boy. Did you get oh, Nickelodeon? <laughs> I sure did. It was not a good day to be Chris. <laughs> but that is our, Nickel- that's our Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon shaming is the worst. It is. It is. Yeah. Um, the next ad is a is an ad that 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 asks you to show us your bubble. <laughs> oh my God, Chris! Bubble yum. Show us your bubble. That is, mm-hmm. man. I was a gum fanatic as a kid. I mean, that's what we did as kids. We would go to the store. It would be the same thing all the time. So you'd always get, like, you'd always get your Coke or your Pepsi. You'd always get your bag of Hostess chips mm-hmm. and always some gum. So you'd always leave with a bubble yum, Bazooka Joe, Big League Chew, Gatorade mm-hmm. gum, which I is highly name. underrated, lasted for two seconds. But by God, those two <laughs> seconds were bliss. Do you remember Rainblow? Oh, of course, the ball. Yeah, the one they came yeah. in like that sleeve. Yeah. Yes, and you, you know, you pressed them out and you squeezed them out in your mouth. Yep. They were, they were delicious. Do you remember Double Bubble? Uh-huh. They were like the little individually wrapped ones. Those were cool. You get those um, in Halloween over when you were trick or treating. You get, you yes. get a bunch of those tossed in there. Yeah. Then you had Hubba Bubba, mm-hmm. and of course, the coup de grace of them all in our town, anyway, was Bubblelicious. They had so mm. many friggin' flavors of Bubblelicious here. It was ridiculous. Watermelon Bubblelicious is uh, something to die for, I guarantee <laughs> you. Beautiful. Did you have Bubblelicious? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, just I, delicious. What was I, I your remember. favorite? Um, You know, it's funny. Around, like, 1991, 1992, I want to say, every single gum brand and every candy brand was introducing Blue Raspberry. Oh, yeah. Like, hell, yeah. Blue Raspberry was, like, the oh. thing. Yes. And and I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Every time there was a new blue candy, I was all over it. Yeah, and it automatically became my favorite. I don't know why. It wasn't that great, but I think just blue was such an exotic flavor, uh, exotic color for candy that it just uh, it just did something to my head. <laughs> well, do you guys have slush puppy? Do you, you, can you guys get slush puppy? They're, is, they're that like, a, is that like an icy like a, or a slush Yeah, puppy? yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I would compare it to an icy. So okay, instead of yeah. Slurpee, Slurpees are more foamy. They're like, thicky, you know, frozen, yeah. Yeah, frozen foam. But yeah, I, I would compare it to an Icy, but they have Blue Raspberry Slush Puppy. You just ask Dave the next time you talk to him. <laughs> he will tell you the virtues of Blue Raspberry Slush Puppy. It is heaven sent, and it's probably the best <laughs> single slushie I've ever had in my life right there. And nice. they're beautiful. I'm buying one, and I'm actually posting it up on Twitter. You'll love it. <laughs> there you go. I might send you one in the mail. It might not be in good state of affairs by the time it gets there, but by God, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> I tell you one thing, though. My kids loved Hubba Bubba, and they had one, and this was in the 90s. It was called Hubba Bubba Max, and they had a okay. they had a unique center to it, and it also had like a splash of, you know, sour that went through it, or sonic shock, huh. okay? And they were, uh, oh, yeah, they were they were really super sour, but my, my kids loved them. But the worst, oh, do you remember Chicklets? Oh, yeah. Yep. My God, we used to get chiclets all the time for Halloween. Like the, you mm-hmm. know, you get the individual packets with the two and those. Like fourth, yeah. Yeah. You guys had stripes rainbow as well. We never did have stripes here in Canada. Okay. Yeah, fruit stripes. Yeah, fruit stripes. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, fruit stripes. Yeah, the one with the horse on there. I always yep. used to love that. I used to, I used to, uh, I used to buy tons of it when I used to go to the U.S., which was fun. But the one that I could not stand. Oh, good lord! I remember the day that I first put it in my mouth and propelled it projectile out of my mouth instantly <laughs> i thought someone do you remember those bad sticks of gum you used to get like at hobby shops sure or, yeah, or the, through like the mail the or whatever gum or yeah. yeah the yeah or the hot gum or anything yep. like that orbits gum oh my god it tasted like chewing on a bar of peppermint soap 
It oh, was crap. Have you tried Orbitz before? I, I'm sure I have. Yeah. Oh, sure go to go to the store. And I, <laughs> actually, actually, this is the challenge for you. Here's what I want you to do: go to the store, any of the dollar shops around. I guarantee you, will carry it. Get a package of Orbitz gum and try one on air next next week. We'll do. We'll do. They are tragic. <laughs> Total crap. Orbit shame on you. It's so weird because like gum gum like this back in the 90s doesn't seem to exist anymore. No. Like you don't you can't get these like packs of gum anymore. It's everything is like a highfalutin thing now where it's like a, like a plastic case. It used to Sound. just be like cruddy like it, yeah. yeah, cruddy foil paper. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's like these like big uh, you know actually you know hard plastic cases and stuff yeah. or these like weird origami shaped cardboard things. It's yeah. yeah, it's like a whole different thing. It's lost all of its charm and now it's now it's just for freshening your breath. It's not for not for taste anymore. Oh man, I mean we rotted our teeth to death on this stuff. I love it. <laughs> no joke. I would love to have a nice pouch of big league chew. I'm gonna do a podcast one day with a giant <laughs> pouch of big league chew and just chomp my way through the whole show. Just... <laughs> I'm gonna do it. It's happening. What what are your thoughts on the just the original bubblegum flavor? Are you a fan of that or do you like Oh hell yes. Oh my god. Regular, just regular pink bubblegum yeah. flavor, delicious. Absolutely delicious. I, I don't like it. No, I I, yeah, I don't like what it. What is wrong with you, sir? You yeah. you are mentally something wrong. I might, be. I, might have <laughs> I loved it. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. What's, what don't you like about it? Just the sweetness, or I don't know. It feels like it feels like half a flavor. Like it feels like there should be more to it. Like like you take the bite and it's like, all right, where's the rest of it? You know, it's a uh, uh, do it. I love that flavor so much. I even used to like the chalky, hard crap you used to get in the back of cards. I Baseball even used to love Oh, I couldn't wait to have it. And the older, the better. The more white chalk that was on that thing and the more yep. crunch, it was like, yeah, look at that. These 1980, <laughs> you know, 1984 hockey cards from Opeachy <laughs> are the best because the gum is crap. What about the bubblegum cigarettes? Did you like those? Oh, you yeah. like puffing on those? <laughs> the oh white powder? <laughs> bubblegum cigarettes were crazy. Can you imagine that product today? So we had two oh. varieties. We had the bubblegum type, and then mm-hmm. you had the really the crappy chocolate sticks. ones. Yeah. Oh, those were Oh well, the ch- no, you had chalk sticks as well, which were basically basically Popeye candy cigarettes. With, yeah, with the red tips. Yeah. yeah, with the red tips. You had those, but they also had chocolate ones. Like they were really? actually milk chocolate cigarettes. We had those Ew. here too. I, maybe we well, had those. those. I, ew, those don't. Those don't. But it, good. but it wasn't good Hershey chocolate. Oh no no, this was your uh, I don't know where it came from, but uh, some somewhere foreign for sure, and it was really <laughs> really really bad. Oh. <laughs> <Anyway>, moving on. <laughs> Our final ad is for the uh, for something that I totally missed out on growing up here, um, the Nintendo Game and Watch. Oh, those were great. Those were great. Now I didn't I didn't physically own one. I had the old <laughs> Coleco tabletop ones, you okay. know, Frogger, Pac-Man, Galaxian. I had those. These came out, but um, a little bit later. We ne- we never did get these, but I did play one. I remember distinctly playing uh, super mario at my friend's house and just thought it was the coolest thing now mm. by the time that you know i gathered my, some money around the tiger games were out oh ooh, yeah yeah those yeah yeah those are tragic but they're basically the same as the game and watch things you know they're they're no better my brother yeah. and i had uh batman i think it was the animated one or no the movie one i think and we mm-hmm. for tiger games and we had double dragon as well now they're pretty crude and you know the, they're basically toggling LCD screens. They That's might have it, had yeah. three distinct levels if they had that much. 
And, uh, yeah, that's what I had. I never did have those, but I guarantee you the Nintendo one, especially the Super Mario one, was a load of fun. So, nice, nice. Yeah. I, I totally missed out on this. And, I, and when I first heard about the Game & Watch, uh, I, I it must have been well, probably late 90s or something. I just assumed we never got them here. I just assumed they were wow. a Japanese thing. And uh, when I see ads for it, when I'm actually paying attention to the ad, it's like, oh, wow, I guess we did get those. I just think, never I think they're missed a, they're it. fortune to buy now. Those are I'm cheap. sure. I'm oh sure. yeah, no, yeah. you'd you'd love those if you ever see one like at a decent price. Pick up the Super Mario one. Donkey Kong mm. is not bad; it's a little chinchy, but uh, this the the Super Mario one is is hella fun, man. That's so, wild. Yeah, enjoy. But, uh, but yeah, that is cover to cover of Strike Force Moratory number twenty four. A really good issue, really fun Absolutely. issue. Looking forward to more. Um, and uh, before we send you guys off to enjoy the rest of your day you want to hit them with a little bit of plug-in oh yeah absolutely so you can find me over on twitter at charlton underscore hero you can also find my retro ramblings over at the superhero satellite on wordpress so just give that a google you'll find me i'm talking about wrestling talk about comic books different things like that and i promise you an update coming soon so we're going to have some uh, different things going on on the old blog not too much i will i will not be uh compared Temper to expectations uh, yes <laughs> it, it won't be uh, chris is on infinite earth level type stuff but uh you know it, it'll be the best that i can do within a month put it that way there you go <laughs> that's the best i could do but anyway you can find myself and mr chris sheehan not only here on moratory mondays but over on the w2m network over on tv party tonight as we cover some wrestling fun as well so uh whenever there's wrestling action you'll find the podsman and that's chris bailey yeah, and you can find me over at uh, Ace Comics on Twitter, or Chris is on Infinite Earths.com, uh, Chris and Reggie.com, uh, Chris and Reggie.podbean.com, all the places that uh, you can usually find me, uh, all the links that we usually share, I suppose. Um, this past week, I was on the uh, Wizards, the uh, Comics Guide to Podcast, uh, Podcast Guide to Comics, easy for me to say. Uh, episode 16 had a really good time with, uh, with Adam and Mike there. Uh, Really fun uh, couple of guys to talk to about 90s comics and just uh, really just 90s stuff. Uh, we talked about action figures, talked about games, talked about a whole bunch of stuff. Had a really good time. Hopefully I didn't totally <laughs> eat the mic, but uh, <laughs> had a good time. Uh, and uh, I hope uh, you guys check that out and, and just check them out in general. They're, they're really good stuff over there. Um, Last week, you could have heard me on uh, the Rattleton Broadcasting uh, <laughs> channel, um, had my audio recorded. Uh, <laughs> it was probably my most insightful uh, episode yet, which is a tragic. Uh, and I also <laughs> I also revealed the location of my of my hidden treasure. So uh, that's one of those things that will never be found out, unfortunately. Oh, that was the, that was the best episode ever. <laughs> Mark, oh, Mark and Chris taking on Warrior Nun with uh, with Chris on mute. It is with it is me one of muted. Oh. <laughs> it oh. is it is one man having a conversation with himself about Warrior Nun, and it is the most epic thing you'll ever see. And he actually published it, which is even better. Again, good for you, Mark Radlich, because He's, that yeah. is an amazing episode. It's the most abstract <laughs> podcast you'll ever hear. It's impressionist podcast. Yes, it That's is. That's what it is. It's, it's very, it's, we would call what we would call it is stylized. <laughs> <laughs> One man's journey to podcast with himself as a, <laughs> oh man, great stuff. Amazing. Uh, and uh, on the channel, I'm uh, back to doing occasional Chris's on infinite earth solo shows where you can listen to me talk yep. to myself for the better part of two hours. Uh, if, uh, if that's what you want to hear, it's there for you. Um, but I think 
that's just about all I've got here. Uh, you have anything else for the folks before uh, we sign off? Nope. I'd like to say uh, a big congratulations to Mr. Mark Radlich, who received some yes. very, very, very positive news. He's had uh, he's had a few health issues recently, which we won't get into here, but uh, he received some extremely good news. And uh, just like to say a a huge congrats to our good boy Mark. Amazing. Absolutely, story. absolutely. The the best news you can get for sure. Absolutely. Uh, we we yeah we we're so happy to hear that. Overjoyed uh, to hear that. Yes, sir. But uh, if that's all we've got, um, we want to thank you all so, so much for hanging out, sticking with us uh, through these uh, quote unquote dark days of uh, Strikeforce Moratorium <laughs> um, and sticking with us for the future. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. It means the world to us. Uh, if you want to reach out, you can do so at both of our Twitters or at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, I repeat, I am a lonely person, so please reach out if you want. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm also sending out the uh, the Cosmic Treadmill enamel pins that used to be exclusive to the patrons of the Chris and Reggie channel. So uh, I'm not charging for them. I'm just sending them out. So if you're interested, just reach out and, uh, and uh, you know, I'll get them out to you just as soon as I can. But I think that's probably all we got for you this week. Um, one more time. Thanks so, so much for hanging out. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, we will talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.